0: City WLCC Brandon
1: Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa
0: app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: The purpose of teaching and admonishing is to edify, to build up believers. He's not talking j- just about the pulpit here, he's talking about one another. We're going to speak to one another and teach one another in a church setting, whether it's in a class or, or not, the Word of God. We're going to build one another up, we're going to warn one another, oh you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't you shouldn't do this in your business practice because uh, God will discipline you, you ought to be ethical, oh you, you shouldn't be living with this person, you ought to be, I mean we're, we're teaching, we're teaching one another. That's what happens when the Word dwells in you richly, you speak the truth in love to others.
2: Have you ever been corrected and challenged by other believers in your church? I don't mean the kind of judgmental reproof that is concerned more with outward appearances than with inner motivations. But have you ever had someone in your church come in a gentle, loving way and show you things from God's Word that you really needed to hear? According to the Bible, that's one of the ways the church family should be interacting with one another. Thank you for joining us for another broadcast of Verse by Verse. In today's program, Pastor Steve will be wrapping up this series of messages from Colossians chapter 3 entitled, The Battle for Holiness. We hope you have been helped by this series as you seek to develop godly attitudes in your personal life. The Apostle Paul still has a few more tips for us to implement in our lives, so let's join Pastor Steve as he examines them.
1: So here's how it works, practically speaking. Get this. When you are faced with a decision to make concerning what to say to someone or how to react to a disagreement, what to do in a certain situation, we're all faced with this. The question to ask is this, if I say or react or do this, will I lose my peace? Will I lose my peace? And it is that consideration for peace that rules and determines your course of action. That's what Paul means. Let the peace of God Rule in your heart. Let it make the decision as to how you're going to handle a certain situation. If you know by handling it you're going to lose your peace, then don't do it. Let it rule. Let it decide for you. If that's true, you're going to avoid doing anything to lose it. And the worst feeling for a Christian is to lose this peace. The worst feeling on earth is to lose this peace. All you have to do is read David's uh, Psalm and Psalm 32, Psalm 51 of when sin occurred in his life and he lost this peace. Now, the way to promote unity and love in the fellowship is to let your desire for peace rule in your heart rather than sin rule in your heart. And, And you know what ought to encourage us to let peace rule in our hearts? Notice the end of verse 15. He says, he speaks about being called in one body, which means he's talking about getting along with, with people in the church. But at the end of verse 15, says, and be thankful. Be thankful for what? In other words, the more thankful you are for God's peace, the more you want to preserve it. Be thankful you have this. Be thankful you have tranquility. Try to remember what it was like when you didn't have it. And do everything you can to maintain it. Let it rule in your life. So how do you put on virtue? By letting Christ's peace rule you and your reactions to other people. It is the umpire in your heart. A concern for his peace will prompt you to be compassionate and kind and so forth and, and you won't lose it. That's how you put on this virtue. You let his peace rule. Have you lost God's peace? You have it today? That it's not due to anything but your own sinfulness. Then how do you get it back? You confess your sin to God and you go to the person who you've sinned against if it's another individual. If it's just between you and God, and you take it to God and confess it and agree with Him and you repent. If it's to God and to other people, then you must go to that other person and take care of it and ask them to forgive you. That's how you get God's peace back. You get right with them. But you know what? We have to be very, very upfront and very careful about this. There is always a danger in basing our actions upon peace because why? Peace is so subjective. Peace is a subjective feeling, and subjectivism can be misleading. So, why, while it is valid, certainly because the word says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, it is also, uh, something we have to be careful about. And so the Apostle Paul goes on to tell us something else that Christ has given us to promote unity and love and virtue among ourselves. And we must take God's peace, but also something else that is objective, and that is Christ's word. And that's why verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Christ's inner peace is subjective, but the word of Christ is very objective. And we don't throw out subjectiveness. We're just careful about that. But you you must have the word of God being your objective guide. And when his word richly dwells within you, then you will be controlled by what he wants, not what you want. That's the point. Now, let's think this thing through. What does it mean? What does it really mean to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? This is so important. First of all, what is the word of Christ? Is it just the, word that, the words that Jesus gave in the Gospels? I think it includes that, but the word of Christ is the whole revelation of God. It comes from him. It is not simply the New Testament Gospels. It is the entirety of his revelation. So keep that in mind. It's just another way of saying, let the whole word of God dwell in you richly, the whole counsel of God. Secondly, the Greek word dwell means to be at home in your heart, to be at home there, uh, to, to reside in us, to be, at, to be at home. We are to take in God's word so that it becomes a permanent, uh, a part of our lives. That's what he's talking about. Dwell doesn't mean that you're just there for a one night stand and you move on. Dwell means that it's at home, permanent residency in our hearts. Thirdly, it is to dwell in us richly, which means in abundance. In other words, Christ's word should should, should so permeate us and be so deeply implanted in us that every thought, deed, word, and attitude is under his control. This is, by the way, the spirit-filled life. It is the parallel passage in Ephesians 5 in which Paul says, be filled with the spirit, and and then he goes into some of the same things that that happen. So being under the spirit's control and letting the word of, of Christ so permeate you is exactly the same thing, precisely the same thing. Someone put it this way. They said, we ought to be so jammed full of spiritual truth that if you are cut anywhere, you will bleed Bible verses. I like that. And hopefully that'll stick with you because that's what he means, that you, you are to be taking in the word of God, consuming it at such a rate that, that it, it just permeates your whole life. As Spurgeon said, your blood should be bibbling bibbling. It's just overflowing in your life. It's, it's, it's just a very uh, integral part of you. And when you take in his word richly and you're under his control, then you are putting on virtue because you are becoming Christ-like. You'll be Christ-like in your behavior, not angry, bitter people. You can't help but do that when you're really taking in the word richly. You see, the reason I believe there are so many unresolved conflicts in local churches between Christians is because so few Christians have the word dwelling in them richly. They got their own thoughts dwelling in them richly, their own opinions. And that's what comes out. My opinions and my opinion and your opinion mean absolutely nothing in terms of resolving a conflict. You say, but wait a minute, I, I, I'm here Sunday morning. And yes, you may take in a Sunday sermon, but for the words to dwell in you richly, it must go way beyond that. For the words that dwell on you richly, you must read it yourself. And more than read it, you must meditate on it. You must memorize it so you can meditate on it. You must apply it. You must put it into practice. You must be hungry for it. You, you must want it so badly. And so that's what he means about letting the words dwell on you richly. Not that you come and listen to a, a sermon once a week. And there is a growing uh, drift away in local evangelical churches, even from having uh, sermons. Many churches, even in our area, don't have a Sunday evening service. And I know the Bible doesn't say you have to have Sunday morning and Sunday evening, but I also know that in principle, letting the word of Christ dwell richly in us ought to mean that we have more of the word being taught rather than less of it. What happens to a church when the word of Christ dwells in you individually, richly. Two things. Number one, he says in verse 16, this is what will result, with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another. When your life is overflowing with the word of Christ, then you are going to be busy imparting God's word by teaching one another that means giving positive information, and admonishing. Admonishment means warning. If you do this, this will happen. This is a warning. The point is that you won't be overflowing with critical, nasty attitudes. When you meet somebody who who says they know Christ, but they're nasty and critical and and, uh, just kind of mean and harsh, you know that the word is not dwelling in them richly. You know that because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you fill your heart and mind with the word of God, then what will come out is the word of God as we teach one another and admonish one another. The purpose of teaching and admonishing is to edify, to build up believers. He's not talking just about the pulpit here. He's talking about one another. We're going to speak to one another and teach one another in a church setting, whether it's in a class or or not, the word of God. We're going to build one another up. We're going to warn one. Oh, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't you shouldn't do this in your business practice because uh, God will discipline you. You ought to be ethical. Oh, you you shouldn't be living with this person. You ought to be. I mean, we're we're teaching. We're teaching one another. That's what happens when the word dwells in you richly. You speak the truth in love to others. Secondly, and this is very very interesting, uh, the rest of verse sixteen says, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We edify believers by giving them the word of God, but we also worship God with biblical songs. So not only does a word-filled Christian produce edification for believers, but he produces worship for God by singing to him. Now, what should we sing? What should we sing to the Lord? You know, I find Christians argue and debate about music, and they don't know what they're talking about. In fact, I have found that I have debated about this and don't even know what I'm talking about. But after studying this, I think I have a better handle on it. We are to sing to the Lord. What? Number one, psalms. What are psalms? Psalms were songs taken from the Old Testament books of uh, the book of Psalms. Uh, David, who wrote most of the psalms, put it to music. We don't have the music, so we make up the music. But we have the the words. Those are psalms. That's what they did. That's what we're to do. Sing songs of scripture, specifically psalms, because psalms are so very worshipful. Secondly, hymns. What is a hymn? A hymn is basically a song of praise to God. That's what a hymn is. In fact, uh, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter uh, 16, verse 25, remember when they were in prison at Philippi? It says that Paul and Silas were singing hymns of praise to God. When Jesus turned the Passover meal into the Lord's Supper, it said that they went out singing a hymn. It's just songs of praise to to God. It is believed by many New Testament scholars that a number of New Testament passages were sung as hymns in the early church, one of them being Colossians 1, 15 through 20. They just sung it as praise to God. That's what a hymn is. Uh, A hymn, it doesn't matter if it's found in your hymn book or if it's found in choruses, not the style that's important at this point. It is simply a song of praise to God. Then we are to sing a spiritual song as opposed to a secular song. A spiritual song is a song of a, with a spiritual nature. It is generally testimony songs uh, which would come under this category, songs that dwell on themes other than direct praise to God. Anything that dwells on a biblical theme other than direct praise to God would come under the category of a spiritual song, a song of what God has done for us, a testimony. Now, let, let me just um, say a few a few points here. I understand that, and you should too, that this is not the final and definitive word in the Bible on how we're to have a worship service and our style of worship and so forth. However, there are certain truths that come out of, of this verse that I think are important for us to, to know. Number one, there is a definite relationship between our Bible knowledge And expression of worship in song. There is a definite correlation and relationship, which means a person's theology determines his music. So be careful. Know a little bit about the musicians that you like and you're singing. Know a little bit about them. And that includes hymns as well. I'm not talking about just contemporary stuff. Know a little bit about who you like because their theology. Determines their music. Secondly, all that we sing should be biblical in nature. Either the words of Scripture put to music or songs based on biblical themes. You see, the issue is not whether you like the young people's music or not. The issue is not whether it's got really a beat to it or not, or whether it's in the hymn book or in a more modern song book that has choruses. The issue is, is it biblical, number one? And secondly, catch this does it please God? Because who are you singing to? You are not singing for you. I want to tell you something that may revolutionize your life. You are primarily singing for God. This is what David Ray said just a few minutes ago, and he didn't know I was even going to deal with this. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, Paul said. Edification is secondary. We often say, well, I'm I'm ministering to you in song. Um, It's secondary. The primary purpose is not to minister to you. The primary purpose in our singing is to sing to the Lord. That goes for the choir, that goes for your sing, goes for a soloist. It's singing to the Lord. It really doesn't matter at that point whether you like it or not. It really doesn't matter whether that hymn is so old-fashioned you just feel comfortable with it, or whether it's contemporary and you like the beat. It really doesn't matter. What does matter is, is it biblical and is God pleased? That's really what counts. So understand, and this is just... A personal note here that I think is important, that when we get together, what we're trying to do in a worship service is teach and worship. That's the primary things we're trying to do. So you ought to be careful about complaining if David has you standing for a lot of songs, singing. If your mind is, why am I standing? and You've forgotten that you're worshiping. You're worshiping. You'd stand in line to at Publix or someplace for a lot longer time. But you're worshiping. So if you're thinking about why is he having me stand? I'm so tired. Then go to bed earlier Saturday night, and be strong. I mean, I mean that we're worshiping God. So don't get caught up. Oh, I'm just saying, going through the motions because that's sin. You're to worship God. And secondly, understand this is behind the whole mentality of wanting to, you to read the bulletin because I don't want to take time to go into announcements because we're here to teach and worship. And you've got uh, 12 o'clock itis. And so I understand we're fighting the clock and uh, we just want to honor the Lord and use the maximum time for teaching and worship. So you need to cooperate. You need to understand what's going on. There's a fourth thing that I want you to uh, know. Very helpful to have a hymn book or a song book in your devotional time. Very wonderful to not only read the word and pray, but open that hymn book and take a song. And uh, have you ever just sung to the Lord? Maybe if you sing to the Lord in private, you'll be more prone to do it in in the worship service, and so our music minister doesn't have to say, I don't hear you singing. See, the important thing is that, that God wants you to sing in your hearts to Him. So, now the point of all this is to say that when you have God's word dwelling richly in you, then His Word will be coming forth in teaching and admonishing people and in praise to our God. This is how you put on virtue. You let the word get so implanted inside of you that what comes out of you is not anger, is not malice, is not evil speech, but Christ's word to build people up and to bring praise to God. And the reason that Christians have so many conflicts is that what comes out of them so often are not Christ's words, but their own words. And that's where we get into trouble. That's where we get into trouble. So how do we put on virtue? Number one, by letting Christ's peace Rule in, in our hearts. Number two, by letting Christ's words dwell richly in us. And number three, very quickly, we really don't need to expand on this because we've kind of said it all before. We need to let Christ's name direct our speech and behavior. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This really sums up everything else. It, it really does. Everything we do is to be done in the name of of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean that when you do something, you say, I'm doing this in the name of Christ. What it does mean, though, is that everything you do and every way you behave and everything you say is to be done and said in a way that is consistent with his character and with his will. It means that if Jesus Christ were here in the flesh, he'd behave and say the same things in in essence. That's, That's what it means you're You're acting in his place, in other words, to speak and to act like Jesus christ that's the way you put on virtue it's christ' likeness which is precisely paul's point in the whole chapter. You have christ's nature within you now be christ like in your behavior and the way to be christ like and the way to be holy, to be like him is to be guided by his peace, guided by his word, guided by his name it all it all ties together now, having said. All of this, there are just two things that have to be said. Number one, if you're a Christian, you need to make adjustments. There's a lot that's been said today, but basically, all we really said is be Christ-like. Let his word control you. Let his peace, let his name guide you. Don't insist on your own way. That's number one. You may need to make adjustments, and I'm sure we all do need to make adjustments. Don't harden your heart to this. Don't harden your heart to this and make excuses for this. This is the Word of God. The second thing that needs to be said is that if you find this impossible, you say, I cannot, I will not, then you need to examine your hearts whether you know the Lord or not. Because if, if, if these truths don't find any place in your heart to register, then you've got to wonder if your heart's ever really been changed. And so I invite you to accept Christ. I invite you to repent of your sins, to trust Him, Anywhere you are, you can do it right now as I'm speaking. You can do it when we bow for prayer. You can embrace Christ um, afterwards. You can, you can you can speak to somebody after the church service. Come up after and go through those doors. There'll be somebody waiting for you. I mean, we're we're ready to help you, but it, it means that you're you're willing to turn from your sin to Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, you need to to make sure you do some things today. Don't harden your hearts. This is the battle for holiness. And the battle is won when you get into his word and you obey it. Let's bow for prayer. Father, your word pierces us. Lord, your, your word hurts us, but it doesn't leave us hurting. It tells us how to resolve conflicts, how to get along with others. We realize, Lord, that in a church our size, there are bound to be conflicts. There are bound to be people who say and do things that are irritating. And yet we're not left to our own resources and and thinking to know how to resolve this. I thank you that you want to promote unity in your church. In fact, we do have unity. It's only our sin that messes up this unity. I pray that you'll help us to take these truths to heart, to have your words well in us richly. Lord, I I pray that the evidence will be the way we speak to one another, and I pray the evidence will be that from henceforth uh, our singing Will be dynamic, Lord. Doesn't have to be artistically brilliant, but it, it does need to uh, come from our hearts to you and and really heartfelt thanks, Lord. May our singing be just so pleasing to you. May we not be hung up on styles as much as is it biblical, and does it please you, Father? I pray that. Uh, your work in our hearts, that we might resolve what needs to be done. I pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ, that they'll see their need and they'll come running to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
2: We never really enjoy it when someone points out sin in our life, even if they do it in a humble and loving manner. Still, we should understand that we need that kind of correction at times. It's easy for us to be blinded by our own sin or to somehow justify things that simply are not right. We need a friend to help us get back on course toward godliness. We're glad you joined us for today's broadcast. Our teacher here on Verse by Verse is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you live in the Clearwater area or you ever pass through this direction, you have a standing invitation to come and meet Steve and to join in worship with the congregation at Lakeside. To learn more about the church, its location, or the times of services, you can log on to the church's webpage, lakesidechapel, all one word, dot com. Lakeside also ministers to its church family and its community by offering Bible-based education through Lakeside Christian School. More about this ministry is available on the church's website as well. Simply follow the link. Now we know that your life is busy, and that you're probably not able to tune in to this broadcast each weekday, so we have made previous broadcasts available to you on our website. The sermon that was concluded in today's program is the last in a series of sermons that Steve has entitled, The Battle for Holiness. If you missed any of the broadcasts in this series and would like to fill in the gaps, you will find them in the audio archives. Just go to our website, versebyverseradio.org, and click on the Listen Now button at the top of the page. And we encourage you to download as many programs as you'd like, listen to them anytime, and even share them with others. It's just another way that we here at Verse by Verse want to help you enrich your life with the powerful teaching of God's Word. Well, our next broadcast will begin a new series. Pastor Steve will be taking us on a journey back in time to study an amazing story of God's sovereignty, power, and deliverance. It's the story of a simple girl who becomes queen to the most powerful man in the world. And although it may sound like a fairy tale, it is true history recorded in the Word of God and filled with many lessons for us to apply in our lives today. We think you'll both enjoy and appreciate this study of the book of Esther. So on behalf of Pastor Steve and the entire Verse by Verse staff,